This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Bear Hunter Hamilton, how's it going? I'm freaking tired, man. It's been a long few days, but uh, worth it in the long run, hey? Um, sounds like a, a good good spring bear trip. Glad glad you guys were able to get out and uh, get on a bear. We're not done yet. We're When we're done this, it's for those that don't know, we normally record at about 11, 12 uh, in the morning. And now it's, uh, it's just rolling through 8.30. We've been at this over an hour and a half. So long night of skinning a bear and uh, early start at it this morning so yeah that's uh what uh what we live for i suppose we'll call it right <laughs> yeah awesome yeah cool man i i actually got up at six this morning and i went and swam in the ocean at 6 a.m i uh i normally up between 6 and six thirty, but when you're up till 11 12 skin and bear after being out all day on foot and hiking around yeah it kind of sucks but uh gonna do it again because it doesn't suck that bad when you're outside right yeah, absolutely. Why would you, sw- you swim in the ocean? That's well, cool. I, I, yeah, like I, I, you just glossed over that. I'm like, buddy, I just told you I went swimming in the ocean. Well, I just did the polar bear swim thing, right? It was pretty cool. Well, girl, oh. it wasn't. It's not January, but uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was just everyone does it. Like we, we always see these people jumping in the ocean and and early morning. So like, oh, let's try it this morning. So we we got up at six, went down in our bathing suit and jumped in the water it was pretty cool it was it was uh yeah i'm almost paralyzed i felt like i couldn't move right so it's it, i've cool. done that did done that when i lived on the coast uh the, the late night or the early morning swims it's like oh this kind of sucks but once you're out it's dry off it's okay i'll do that again it's weird yeah that endorphin yeah, rush cool. yeah so uh this is really cool we've been working trying to get adam on the uh, podcast now for a long time and he's a busy guy He's got a lot on the go, and we finally were able to, to get him on. Uh, this is episode 77 with Adam Foss. And, um, you know, a big part of what we talked about is this uh, Wild Sheep Foundation has a membership appreciation raffle. Um, so whether you buy a membership or if you're an existing member, you can buy up to, uh, I think it's five additional opportunities. And um, it's for a dull sheep hunt in the Northwest Territories. But the cool thing is there's eight outfitters in the territories, and you get to choose which one you're going to hunt with. So you get to look at all the different outfitters and say, hey, I'm going to go hunt with you. Get to go kill a dull sheep. This is a hunt of a lifetime. You know, Foundation does all these great um, sheep hunt giveaways. There's literally, they, I think they give away like, a, I don't know, 10 a year. It's crazy how many. Most of them are for deserts, um, and they're all amazing. But this one stands out in the sense that you're going to hunt in the majestic mountains of the Northwest Territories. This is untouched unparalleled pristine wilderness and you get to go and you get to pick your outfitter of all the eight outfitters in the entire area and get to decide where you you get to decide your hunt the terms that it's on adam foss is going to accompany you he's going to video or or photograph your hunt and uh memorialize that for you so you'll never forget that hunt just an amazing opportunity no totally agree while we were uh on the the podcast i remembered to finally buy my ticket and <laughs> oh did you oh yeah it's it there's you you name it it's the who's who of uh outfitters up there like you got uh there's arctic red canal ganna river uh nahani raisin raven's throat you you name it they're they're there and as adam said you you get to uh go with him 
he, you threatened him that he might have to go with me, but I don't think he cares too much. I think we'd have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's the eight outfitters up there. And like you said, uh, just uh, it's, this is sponsored by the association of McKenzie mountain outfitters. Um, so basically the guide outfitting community from the community from the territories is partnering with the wild sheep foundation on this um, sponsoring this hunt. And uh, it truly is a, like a hunt of a lifetime. It is phenomenal. So um, yeah, really exciting. I, I'm really excited. I've been involved in this um, as membership chair for the Wild Sheep Foundation and, and just super excited that this is this has come together and that FOSS is going to be there. Um, yeah, just a, a great opportunity for people. So uh, wildsheepfoundation.org, go over to their homepage and uh, you can click on, there's a uh, kind of a blue icon that says Last Frontier. Click here, click on that thing. That'll take you over to the hunt itself. You can pick up uh, you can upgrade your membership. You can you purchase a new one, um, upgrade. You get multiple chances to win. The more you spend, the more you get entered. And then you can buy additional chances to win as, as well. 50 bucks a crack. I think you can buy up to five chances mm-hmm. and um, get extra opportunities to win. And uh, if you don't win, you're supporting conservation. So it's a win-win all the way yeah, around. Absolutely. How much How much did the foundation put back last year? Do you remember? Off the top of your head. Uh, how much in conservation dollars? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's north of uh, five million. I, I, you know the exact number. I don't know, uh, but basically, uh, obviously, there's all these um, uh, tags that are sold, the minister's tag and that sort of stuff, which they sell that at Wild Sheep Foundation. That goes back to support. That's one of the biggest funders for your local jurisdiction. So you know the BC tag that's sold here. That money goes to the government and it's going to well it actually goes to hgtf and that money supports wild sheep conservation in bc um same thing happens in alberta the minister's tag all these jurisdictions and then on top of it the money they raise um as well through grant and aid goes back to conservation uh bc is one of the the largest benefactors for the wild sheep foundation the money they spend they're a huge supporter um, I think for a conservation organization, no put, nobody puts more money on the ground than the Wild Sheep Foundation. It's phenomenal the amount of support um, they put in. Um, Gray came up uh, three years ago, four years ago, and, and he said they'd spent $5 million in British Columbia over the past uh, quarter century or something like that. It's phenomenal. So, um, But that, it's not just BC, right? It, you know, It's Alberta, Idaho. Washington, Oregon, it doesn't matter. Uh, if there's wild sheep there, wild sheep foundations put money on the ground for conservation. So yeah, great organization, something I'm passionate about, obviously. So. Exactly. And this is for 50 bucks. It's super easy to, to, to make an impact that uh, you know is going to go right back on the ground. So right on. Well said. Okay, cool. Um, so this is episode 77 with Adam Foss. Before we get there, just um, keep in mind the Wild Sheep BC. We've got all our raffles going on. We got three great raffles right now. We got the Corlanes Rifle Raffle. We've got the Stone Glacier Raffle, and our third one is the Zeiss Raffle from Reliable. Um, three great opportunities to win some great tickets. Our Doll Sheep Hunt. There's 30 tickets left, but we're recording this at the end of May. Um, sorry to say, it's they're probably gone now. Uh, but we'll have our our fall raffles coming out pretty soon. Um, mountain mem- mentorship we've got uh, up in Kamloops on June 18th. So June 17th, um, we've, we're showing transmission. We've got uh, Helen Swansea, Renee Thornton coming from Women Hunt to do a talk. And then we're going to watch the film transmission. That's in Langley on June 17th. Tickets on our website for that, wildsheepsociety.com. And then mountain mentorship, we're going to do some 
horn aging. We're going to have Joe Apple there. He's going to be talking gear. He's going to be talking about backcountry stuff. We got uh, Stone Glacier's new Terminus 7000 pack. You can try that thing on. We're going to show transmission. That's on June 18th in Kamloops. So tickets on the website for that. Go to wildsheepsociety.com homepage. There's two icons there. Click on whatever event you want to be part of. Um, it's going to be a great night for wild sheep conservation. We're going to have a great time. So pretty stoked about that. Yep. That'll be, that'll be epic. Like Joe's a great guy and uh, knows the shit and yeah. Transmission. I've seen it a couple of times. It's mind blowingly good. And uh, we'll draw some emotion out of even the most hardened, hardened people. So highly recommend get, get your tickets. So yeah, be awesome. All right, buddy, you got a bear to skin. Uh, I got a coffee to drink. Uh, episode 77 with Matt, Mr. Adam Foss. Uh, enjoy. The perception of hunting you know, ha has changed. It's our duty now, our responsibility as hunters, to change it back. And we've spent the last few decades trying, you know, espousing that, that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, we've, it's fallen on deaf ears, all of our attempts. I think what, what we have to do is, is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are, that are you know, voting to get rid of hunting, they don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. Good morning, Adam, from uh, sunny Bozeman, I understand. Yeah, I'm down here seeing some buddies and rattling around the road a little bit for a few days. Sunny? Um, no, it's it's cloudy. I'm actually, yeah. actually miss the Okanagan right now. <laughs> We're like two or three weeks behind. Right on. Did you get out for a spring hunt or what's going on with that? No. Um, you know what? I don't do a whole lot of spring hunting, to be honest. Um, I sort of get my fill in most of the other times of the year. And, and yeah, yeah. Take, take, a, take, take a break from it. I'm not like a turkey hunter or I bear hunted like many years ago, but haven't in recent years. How about you two? Uh, Steve-O, you're muted, buddy. It is early for Steve. It is early for me. Yeah. Late night last night, uh, pulling a bear out of the bush for a buddy. So yeah, I'm into bear hunting. Uh, did my first turkey hunt this year in April and drove, God, it was 12 hours each way from PG to Nelson for two days of turkey hunting. It was absolute riot. Love the spring hunt. Just breaks up that, uh, winter, winter, uh, blues. Cause I'm in Prince George. So you get a ton of snow. So yeah, it's been a late spring. It certainly has been. Uh, we're still, like like I said, we've been out hunting for the last few days and uh, up in the bush here. Normally by now there's pockets of snow, but we're coming across full on snow banks and it's, yeah, it's late by about, I'd say about two weeks. So dandelions are just starting to pop and the hunting's just getting good. Awesome. Cool. So fill us in. What's going on, Adam? So you're new to BC relatively, right? You've been kind of bouncing around all over the world, obviously an Alberta native, but uh, you moved out to the interior a while back. So what's, uh, let's get an update. I think you had a pretty epic stone sheep hunt this fall. Let's, do you want to talk about that or um, let's, let's see what's going on with you? 
Well, so we can talk about whatever. Uh, well, yeah. So I went to school in Vancouver at Simon Fraser. So I was out there studying however long it took me to get an environmental science degree, which is probably longer than the average bear. Um, last summer, let's see. Yeah, we were we were on a stone sheep hunt, my wife and I, Frankie, which she has been tagging along on various backpack hunts. We work together in our photography and film business, which we, we are fortunate enough to operate within this, uh, mostly within this outdoor and hunting space. And so Frankie's been on lots of different backpack hunts over many, many years. And uh, she came along for the ride, decided that it usually takes about nine or 10 months to forget about the last backpack hunt that you went on that was too long and too arduous. So once that nine or 10 months has elapsed, she'll go on another one for, for a few months. And yeah, it's great. I mean, I just love, love to be up in the Alpine, you know, we were on a hunting opener. So early August and it's just a really nice time of year to be out. I mean, the weather's generally quite good. You know, you run into a few bugs and things like that, but um, generally speaking, it's, it's pretty nice. So we, we did that. And, uh, yeah, we were walking around for 12 or 13 days and just had a really, really, really nice time with each other, exploring, checking out some new country, seeing some animals and we had awesome weather, which is always a bonus. And, uh, yeah, kind of awesome. It's an, an awesome opportunity that we have to, to be able to do it every year. So, um, cannot complain. Yeah. Pretty cool. So just, no, with Frankie, she, she's, she goes on these trips. Now, does she have a tag in her pocket? Is she carrying a, does she have her hunting license or, or like, I know she's always on these trips and like, does I, I die to do half the stuff that she does, but, um, does she, is she carrying a weapon and has she got a hunting license with her? How does that work? Yeah, she has a hunting license and she has, she buys all her tags because I mean, in theory, that money goes somewhere for wildlife management. Um, but no, she, she's like, I would say she's hunt curious. She's never killed an animal. She's never really seriously dedicated herself to hunt. I mean, I think she didn't grow up doing it. She, she loves being out there. She, I mean, to be honest, you have to ask her Kyle to get a straight answer, but I think I was gonna put words in her mouth. I think she doesn't have a huge desire to, to kill an animal or, or it's like sort of that's the struggle is just, do I want to like cross that line, I guess. And I've never really pushed her and the people that uh, in my family and friend group that hunt really encourage her to, to come along and, and be in camp and help carry out animals and just enjoy the hunting experience, which is like sort of, done the 99 out of a hundred things that a, that a hunter would, would do. And, and really, I mean, that last one thing is not necessarily why I'm out there. I mean, it's just, it's just sort of a small part of it. It's a nice little cherry at the, at the top of the cake, but, uh, there's all these other things that go into it. Just, just backpacking and being in the mountains is such a big part of it. Now, I think that she's, I'm going to cross that line here at some point in the relative future, because I also think that uh, there's an element of not wanting to 
like wanting to do it on her own for herself and not just because the people that she likes to be around are also doing it. And it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's like she grew up in Seattle and just a totally different experience than, than how I grew up. And when we sort of met each other, she really got into the outdoors and it's been a really interesting evolution. And it's one that I think for where our tradition, pastime, discipline, whatever you want to call hunting is, it's, it's kind of an important one to see how people get involved in hunting, how, how they perceive hunters, um, how that identity is sort of evolving and changing into the future. And I mean, she would probably tell you that her perception of hunting 20 years ago growing up is totally different than it is now. I mean, she's involved in a lot of the same conservation organizations that we're all involved in. She's loves going and seeing everybody at, at the various shows and she loves to be out there and just exposed to this whole other side of what hunting sometimes doesn't really get perceived of mostly, mostly due to hunters, probably not always giving the best perception and, and fully explaining and articulating what hunting is and what hunting means. And, and she also is a, is a phenomenal cook. So she loves to cook with all the various game meats that we might have hanging around. And so it'll be really interesting. It'll be really interesting to see because she sort of like <laughs> dove in on the deep end. I mean, she's just, it's not like she's evolved through these different hunting exploits. She's kind of hanging around me and my brother and the other band of people with questionable intelligence that like to do this type of hunting for fun. And she's just, there, there's been no progression in the sense that she might sort of slowly build up to some of these more, if you, you want to call them like expedition style hunts. And she just doesn't really know any different that, uh, those are things that maybe, maybe can or should take some, some, some growth up to and maybe go on this sort of some shorter hunts and some less physically demanding hunts, but she just dives right in kind of how she rolls at just about anything in life. And yeah, like, like most guys, this is better women behind us than, uh, than we are. So it's, it's, it's awesome. It's really fun to do with your, with your partner and, it's evolves this like i mean it's the same as a sheep hunting partner man woman friend wife cousin somebody who's 30 years older than you is your mentor or a kid that you're taking out i mean you sort of develop a really special bond just alone just if you're if you maybe don't even know each other that well those sort of really long wilderness experience forge these relationships and perspectives i think that can only happen out there so we've been lucky enough to have a lot of those so I'm curious, Adam, like, you know, you come from what we, I don't think anyone would argue with me, like a diehard hunting family, you, you know, when they think of the Foss family, you think of like disciplined killers that get after it. And, uh, you know, so how has that experience, you know, you, you look at, you know, you and Cam being in the bush and doing your thing and going out and killing these massive bighorns in the bow zone or whatever the case may be to fast forward to your relationship with Frankie and what you guys do and, and a totally different uh, hunting partner, if you will, and different perspective. How has it changed your perspective on, on hunting, killing, you know, that, that aspect of it? 
That's a great question. I, I, I think it's hard to separate completely the progression as, as myself, as a hunter from just, just being on this planet a little bit longer. Um, I think age is a big part of it, but uh, yeah, I'd probably be remiss to not think that meeting Frankie and hunting with many different people isn't, doesn't change that lens a little bit. I think I try to have a goal to hunt with a new hunter every year too. take somebody out just to show them how you can operate through the mountains or wherever you might be hunting. And because I think hunting is a hard thing to get involved in. If you don't really have a, a bit of a first hand exposure, there's tons of information out there on the internet, but it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I even have a hard time with it. Sometimes various details of it. There's a lot to do with, um, just, I mean, making sure that you, the WMUs haven't changed since the last time you hunted some area or the LEHs are, are changed all the time as we know. And there's a lot to do with just being on top of that side of it, as well as the gear that you need. So hunting is a hard sort of thing to just jump into. So, um, I think being with newer hunters and, and being with somebody that has a, has a outside look at just, um, a new activity, but also I think pr probably what would be one of the bigger things is when you look at like a mountain or a, a system where wildlife lives as a hunter, you look at it, I, I don't want to say totally differently, but in a different level of detail. And so when you look at the side of a mountain, you're looking for, um, areas that animals might feed out or animal sign or, um, evidence of where the tree line is and, and how that's going to manipulate the animals to be seeking cover. And just, just like a totally different lens of interacting with a, with a wild space. And so I think for Frankie, she comes from this like backpacking and just recreating and people are just walking through the mountains and hunters are, are observing much more and being a little bit more intentional and thoughtful about how they can be undetected and um, where the wind is coming from, what the weather's doing, all these sorts of things that you're just totally in tune a whole lot more than, than most other recreationalists, I think is fair to say. And so to see that like learning curve and that growth and um, it, it gives me a, a new perspective of that hunters actually have a really unique connection with the land that maybe would be separated if they weren't hunting. I would, I would argue would. And that's like a huge part of it. I mean, it's like, it's fun to, there's something deeper within all of us that is happening when, why is it so satisfying to sit there and think that there might be an animal on that hillside and then pull up your binos and look and look and look and then find one? Or why is it so satisfying to look at a rock in a river and think that there's a fish behind it and cast right behind it? And sure enough, there is. There's some deeper like DNA fusion of this feeling of trying to find animals and and kill them that uh, 
hunting brings out. So very long winded answer, but if I, yes. if you can, you can edit the best 15 seconds out of that. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll take the 30 second clip. Yeah, no, exactly. That was, that was, that was great. I, I think a lot of, a lot of the people listening to this will be able to, to connect with ex- exactly what you said, because when you're out there, you're, you're not chasing an animal per se. You're, you're chasing something deep within yourself, right? And you're, you're challenging yourself each time you're out there and to, to, to be better for yourself and, uh, and for what we got coming. So yeah, I, I, I think you nailed it. Did you may have thought it was long winded, but I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, thanks. And there's also the appreciation of starting a new activity. I mean, there's this growth curve that's, there's a, there's a fun side of it. I mean, there's sometimes hunting probably has a bit of a long tail on that growth curve, but when you go out hunting and you, for the first time, just see an animal and then you see multiple animals or you, you know, maybe you see an immature buck and then you see a mature one or whatever. I mean, those little milestones all throughout a hunter's path is really cool and you kind of have those like and then if you kill an animal you have this like celebrations it's really cool to be when you hunt with somebody that's less experienced um to be traveling those little milestones and steve it sounds like you had that exact thing last night with your buddy who's a bear hunter you see it through their eyes Mm -hmm. and it's really cool yeah exactly uh but we went to kindergarten together and uh, he got into hunting about four years ago by watching a couple social media posts I've done and asked the right questions and realized that uh, he was missing something. He didn't know what it was and uh, was able to kind of reconnect with that part of himself. And watching him last night, we we stocked up, well, let him stock up on half a dozen bears and make that that uh, decision himself with no pressure from me to, to, to pull the trigger on the shot that I felt was right. Cause it's not about me at that point. Right. It's about, uh, about that, that personal growth and, uh, connecting. So yeah, it's, it, it was awesome to, to watch him come from somebody who fired 22s at a range as an air cadet to owning, uh, his own rifle and gutting and skinning and, he was excited. We were coming home last night and he called his wife and kids on the phone and they're all pumped for him and just watching, watching and listening to that growth as, as a family was, was pretty awesome. Very cool. So Adam, I'm just curious, like, you know, you mentioned something like it's kind of in our DNA. It's kind of who we are, you know, and um, you know, if we talk like in evolutionary terms, yeah, it's all still there. Um, but, you know, we've all kind of been become urbanized, right? We're all living in the Vancouver's, the Seattle's of the world. And and realistically, if we look back, say, 150 years, right? And realistically, like the late 1800s, we we're pretty uncivilized and certainly in North America. There wasn't a lot of big cities. Um, of course, there was some, but we we're very connected to landscape. You know, a lot of people were going out and, you know, having to get their own food. And, and you know, there was this, but that's kind of gone now. Like we're in these big centers, you know, are we losing that? And are we as hunters, um, are we disappearing? Like, are we, are we ceasing to exist because of just evolution itself? And in 300 years, are there just going to be like no hunters and people just, that was a thing people did, you know, we read about in history books. Like I'm really curious because there has been such a, you know, if you look for the last thousand, 2000, 5,000 years, it's been pretty consistent. Like if you wanted to live, you actually had to be pretty good at harvesting or growing or something. Right. 
but that's that, that's gone now. That's definitely gone. People don't even connect with that, and a lot of people just don't even get it. Is that is it? Is there been an evolutionary change, and is it going to get worse? Like, what? How do you see that? <laughs> Easy <laughs> think, question, think, right? I think you need somebody with many more degrees than I have with, behind their name to answer that question in a way that uh, is more meaningful than my perspective. But I think you're onto something, and I, I mean, I I would agree with your sentiment. I think there'll be, I mean, there'll be no hunting if we don't take care of wildlife. That that will be the end of of hunting. But I I mean. I think that 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 uh, ho- hopefully there is a, like a return to hunt and re- a return to being outside that we can help foster as people in the hunting community. I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting to see where people come from in in like the new hunting age, and I think you see an interest in food. I think food is a really nice sort of bridge from uh, maybe not anti-hunting to hunting but hunt curious or just non non hunter just didn't grow up doing it because food is i mean that is to to eat is and to cook and to gather food and to hunt and fish is to is to be human as you mentioned also i think that's a bridge that i think if if we're able to capture this like bigger thing that is hunting food is a, is a part of it. And for me, food is a part of hunting for sure, but um, it wouldn't be accurate to say I need to hunt for food. I don't, I don't know if anyone really does. And maybe if you're living in a subsistence community somewhere, um, then you do. But as you said, not very many people are, but I would argue that I need to hunt to, I don't know, not, spin off of this wheel that I'm spinning on living in these urbanized areas. Like I'm up in Kelowna. So, um, yeah, I've seen the growth up there, especially, well, especially in recent years. And, um, that's where my family grew up. So I grew up going out there and seeing how that city grew. But anyways, I, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. None of which I think, um, I'm probably able to do what it looks like in 300 years, but I think, if we don't take care of wildlife, there won't be hunting. And if we don't do something about this climate, we're probably, that'll take care of the wildlife for us, especially a lot of the high mountain, you know, undulates that, that we like to hunt that are impacted by a warming climate. So, oh man, it feels like pretty early in the morning to be pretty doom and gloom here, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. So let's segue that way. So, um, what's it with you in the mountains? So, you know, we talk, there's all kinds of hunters, right? And and we're all just hunters really like, you know, and there's, you know, from one dichotomy to the next and you're kind of the extreme like mountain guy. Um, where does that come from? And, you know, you said, well, turkeys and bears, it's not really your thing. Yeah, you've done it. But um, why is it that you're like the diehard freaking, you're going to be the guy on the mountaintop um, chasing after sheep and goat where does that come from? Is it from your childhood or, or where's your keen interest in mountain hunting come from? Probably something wrong with me more than anything. <laughs> um, ch- for, for sure. I mean, like many things in, in life, I think just when you do have those things that are deeply rooted in your childhood, they stick with you. Um, 
I grew up just, just in the sort of foothills, of the Rockies in Alberta, hunting bighorns, my dad and my brother. And I mean, if there is a place that is going to hook you on being in the mountains, it is the Rockies. I mean, or it, it is one of those ranges that is so iconic and being up in the Alpine, it just, yeah, I was hooked, hooked on it right away. So I don't think, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's a, it's a little bit less about, um, hunting particular species, although I do have like certain preference for mountain animals, but, um, it's so much about the location and the exploratory nature that mountain hunting provides. And I don't know how to replicate that. So for example, you go into the mountains, you don't really necessarily probably not following a trail. You don't really have a super dialed in plan. There's not this, um, let's jump in the truck and drive a little bit further and, or go somewhere else or the weather's changing. It's just like you're, there's a level of simplicity that drives from being on just like a sort of backpack mountain hunt, which is you just have the stuff in your backpack and what's between your ears and you just have to go figure it out. And most of the time you're just sort of stumbling around out there, but that's like the part of hunting that I like that I think I'm out there for is to have those experiences and the mountains provide those. And of course they're like stunningly beautiful and, and rugged and you see lots of cool animals and they present a unique set of challenges to hunt in. But I, I, if I was going to sit here today anyways, and say like, if it was one thing now that's continued on through my life and sort of started at a young age and continued on, it's, it's like this, simplicity and complex complexity, I guess it's a complex problem you're trying to solve and hunting this animal, but it's also very simple. And sometimes I feel like when I'm, if I'm doing like a non mountain hunt, it, it, it's like, there's too many options. You're like there and you got your stuff in your truck or you're going for an overnight or you're just going for the day and you can always kind of change your plan or it's, it's like FOMO is a thing, fear of missing out. But then I've heard say like it's FOBO, like that guy has fear of better options, right? So you're, I don't love that. I don't love the, I like go there for just, hey, if we go there and there's nothing here, we're in the wrong spot. Well, whatever. I mean, you got to figure it out. You might be there for 10 days. You might be there for two days, but figure out how to make it work and, and go over the next ridge or sit there in glass, whatever, whatever you got to do. But um, I, I sometimes that type of hunting doesn't provide that same experience that I'm after. So on that note, when you're in the, when you go on a, say for instance, a sheep hunt, are you carrying five tags with you? Talk about FOBO, FOMO. Um, do, do you, do you go out there with, okay, I'm, I'm on the sheep hunt, but I'm going to take a goat tag. I'm going to take a caribou. I'm going to take a moose tag. Or are you just out there? Cause we, this is a dialogue I have all the time with my hunting buddy. It's like, <laughs> he just buy he, he wants a sheep tag. Cause he does not want to see like a 400 inch caribou and go chase after that. Or he doesn't want to go and see a goat. That's whatever. He's just like, no, he goes, I'm singular focused. I am not going to. And I'm always like, no, no, I'm going to take all tanks. Like I want, a, I want a Wolverine. <laughs> I want to like, you, you might see a cougar on the way, whatever. I don't know. So what do you do? Do you carry all those tags or what? Well, I just buy them at the beginning of the year and have them all. But, uh, no, I mean, it's going to, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to hunt sheep. I would, and, and I've hunted on like a primary focus sheep hunt 
found a found a goat that was an animal that at the end of our hunt we were happy with taking so um i guess i probably wouldn't discriminate too much on i mean nah but i'm sheep hunting really i mean it's that at the end of the day that's what's going on um i have yeah like i said i've got to like the end of the drainage and the end of the food bag and this kind of really big old billy goes hanging out and so we decided to take them but no i'm not gonna probably go for anything else because yeah try and stay focused and also like i mean sheep are great animals to backpack hunt for especially with one other person or by yourself you can you can get the animal out whereas if you're talking moose or caribou or elk you're talking a different set of problems which is awesome um but you're you're not able to pack up those kind of animals as far as you are something like a sheep. Okay. Let's talk just a second. I just want to segue briefly. Like I know you, you primarily do North American hunts, but um, I know you've hunted overseas as well. Is that something that's pretty keen interest to you or, um, you know, is it about the different experiences or just about the mountains? Like what, you know, and did you enjoy that? Like that your international hunts that you've done, is that something you want to do more of? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, my brother Cam is, pretty hard on that stuff probably 10 10 or 12 years ago starting and has evolved into a lot more of it as the years have gone by of course he hasn't done anything in the last two years oh man that's a really good question i think if well as hunting is like an exploratory vehicle it's sort of a natural interest to hunt different countries and mountain ranges and things like that um, so I've had some pretty cool trips in places like New Zealand and down in Patagonia and Argentina and met some awesome friends in Europe, hunting Ibex and, um, have done a little bit of stuff in, in mid Asia with my brother of all people. It's a, it's a great question. Um, I would say yes, because I, I do like to see new places and tra- I love traveling too. Hunting is, is cool um, as a vehicle for that. We have a really cool trip to Greenland this summer that we're going on that has been on the books for three years. It's just kind of get, gotten bumped and bumped and bumped. Um, the flip side of that coin is that there's so much here in just in North America that, that you could never ever see and do in a hundred lifetimes even here in BC, I mean, you just start looking at a map and how vast it is. And you, I mean, I actually just had this realization this winter, like I'm never going to get to do all these crazy, all these little pins they put, you know, on, on a map or Google earth, I'm never going to go to all these places ever. There is just, it's too vast. There's too many drainages. There's, there's just, there's not enough time. <laughs> so, I got to get focused a little bit on, on what exactly that is because there, there is so much to do. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, it's cool. We had some awesome experiences, met a lot of cool people. And if I can keep doing that, then, then why not? Yeah. I, I, I would, I would jump on board. Cool. So now if you think back and anything you've done your entire quote hunting career, I know it's not a career, but what stands out? What is, what hunt? And it doesn't. And maybe it's not even one that you 
killed an animal on like just what stands out for you what do you when you think about every hunt you've done you've oh done man what stands out um yeah the people i've met and the people that i am close with that i've had those experiences with yeah i mean we talked about it a little bit at the top of the podcast but just i just have been so lucky to have some of these trips go off in these in these wild places and you know i mean shit kyle my life isn't as interesting as you're trying to make it sound buddy i mean you're like what's going on here in the spring i'm like down here i'm in i'm in bozeman having a couple meetings and i mean just like nothing that cool is going on but um i think i'm like anybody else i think at the end of the day no matter what you're doing since we're all hunters we're talking about hunting but um no matter what you're doing, you sort of, what you take away is like the, the, the people that you got to do it with and share it with. And that's not to say, I mean, sometimes solo hunting is a different experience that you share with people when you get out or when I'm like solo hunting, I think about other people that solo hunt that I look up to and I'm like, Oh, I have like this new connection and relationship with them, even though they don't know it because I've done some hunt that has been completely by myself. So um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Okay, cool. I'm not going to get a straight answer out of you. I'm like, <laughs> you're not going to say it was this animal on this date and this location. And that's cool. And, oh, and, no. and that, you know, um, that's, that's pretty sweet. So, okay. So let's like for some of our listeners, and there's a lot of guys and gals out there that are trying to get after it, right. They've never been on the mountains. Um, and you've, you've kind of done it and you've, and you've grown up with it, but you've also mentored a lot of people. So, you know, for somebody that wants to to sheep hunt, they're 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 keen. They want to get after it. Um, you know what what's kind of your your best advice? Like, you know, um, you know, what would you tell someone that says, "Hey, I want to go and hunt sheep. I want to kill a sheep. What do I have to do? What what would you say to them?" <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, I know it's an wow. easy question, buddy. No, Except no, no. I'm just laughing because uh, <laughs> I probably can't say this, but. Uh, my brother's on a podcast and my, my, I was hunting with a buddy of mine and he goes, yeah, I listened to your brother on this uh, podcast and somebody asked him, well, how do they, sh- how do they sheep hunt or how do they be better at sheep hunting? And he goes, Hey, you just can't fucking quit. And they're like, well, what's your advice? And you know, how do you think about things? And that's all he says. So I'm laughing at that cause I'm reflecting on, on him saying that, which is totally, you know, Cam, that's like totally his personality. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's overly helpful, <laughs> but let's see here. Uh, I mean, I always say a few things. I'd say get involved, like get, get a mentor, um, a, a real like flesh and blood human being that you can sort of bounce ideas off of. And maybe we'll take you on like some sort of foundational trip. So like, you have like a lot of different ways that, um, you need to go about this thing, but, um, one of them is just, which is a super important one, is just general backcountry sort of um, competency, right? I mean, so you have this this ability where you can, I mean, sheep hunting is primarily done out of a backpack. I mean, there's, there's ways you can do it, uh, horseback hunting, or, um, you know, you could jet boat in somewhere and hike for the day off the river, I, I suppose. But let's sort of capture this this question as, somebody wants to go backpack sheep hunting 
they want to travel into the backcountry via some transportation method or they'll drive up in a cheap country and drive walk from their truck there's just this like very basic foundational like backcountry backpacking prowess i think that you need to just develop and that doesn't really happen right away and i think that people have like hunting skills and then they go sheep hunting and they have this like big learning curve which is i mean the best act to learn is is by doing no question but if somebody was sort of wanting to not have these these learning curves or they're like how do i set myself up for success it's like learn those backcountry skills so go backpacking for a night um just learn how to pitch your tent with your headlamp on when the rain's going sideways and you know you you, you forgot how you rolled it up or something just all those little things i think that add up to just like a normal day sheep hunting um will help you just be out there and be more comfortable but also be like a lot safer so i think there's like the backcountry just skills element which is a huge part of that is tangled up in there is gear and learning like the wrong gear and um the right gear and the the nutrition side of things um that i that i um think that that people often overlook um on gear it's like you have to figure out how to get your boots and your backpack all dialed in and so you don't have that learning curve those are probably like two of the biggest things that you can do to set yourself over success there and you would do that on your little backpacking trips that you build up to do a one day trip, then a three day trip, then a five day trip, then a seven day trip, because that's just like a whole part of sheep hunting that if you're comfortable with, it makes sheep hunting like this really hard, extreme, intense things. I know you're using those words and you're trying to build me up and make me sound cool. So the podcast listeners think that I am, but a huge part of it is it can be fun. Like it can be an enjoyable experience. And if you have those skills and you have the right gear, it generally is quite, quite a, a fun, um, a fun thing to do. I mean, there's gonna be parts of it that are challenging, of course, but you can skip a lot of this. Like I brought way too much stuff or I didn't bring enough stuff or I ran out of food or I ran out of water and I had to, you know, eat moss and lick water out of a puddle and, and barely survive. It's like, you can do that, but it doesn't always have to be like that. And, um, that's like one part of it. Then there's this other like hunting side of it where, you know, you need to learn how, where animals might be in and highly densely populated areas and um, how to age sheep and how to, what rams might be doing at certain times of year. That's like, that is probably a longer life path um, that is going to be done by being out there. And so I think you can accelerate that by perhaps having a mentor and showing you um, where to go and, and, and how to hunt. But at the same time, I mean, if, somebody i would argue and i, I kind of make this argument all the time if i said on a map go to this exact spot and somebody just got dropped out of a spaceship and didn't have the backcountry skills and experience didn't have the like sheep knowledge of where sheep might be and and how to age ram to see if it's legal and um a few other things like how to travel through the mountains efficiently. They, they wouldn't necessarily, I mean, they definitely wouldn't be guaranteed um, a successful hunt in terms of notching a tag by any means. I, I really don't believe that. I think, especially if we're talking like Northern hunting, 
and stone sheep or, or you know if we're talking bighorn hunting um they're hard to find they're not on every mountain it takes time like it, it it's it's um and that's not to discourage anybody from sheep hunting i think um that's more to say building up those skills in those areas like backcountry ability and then like the hunting ability kind of at the same time i think if you can you know, do some high alpine mule deer hunting where you are backpacking and glassing and you can apply those to sheep hunting as you put together these experiences. I think you're better off. We also live in this instant gratification world, right? Where you're like, oh man, I want to go sheep hunting. Sweet. How do I do that? Okay. Let me ask somebody on the internet. Okay. I'm going this year. I'm a sheep hunter. Um, which I think is a little bit of the journey's lost because sheep hunting and becoming like, like growing and failing and like that's why I think sheep hunting is so special. Is that is that? Um, I mean, they, there's a great saying that the year you start hunting sheep is the year that your ram is born. And I'm like a little bit jealous too of people that are like starting because they're on a pathway, and th- they get to grow through this thing. So, um, I would say to to wrap up the question, remember that it is a, it is a journey, and um, to enjoy it because if there is one like animal that is truly special in, in my mind um, and the hunts for them are really special. It it is sheep hunting and it's, it's a, it's a pathway that should be enjoyed that, that people um, can, can travel through it and not just try to get to like the point of, okay, tell me how to sheep hunt. I want to go be a successful sheep hunter. I did it. I like checked the box and made him onto something else. Yeah. There's a lot there, man. And, and, um, you know, really well articulated. And there's a few things that I took away there, but the one thing that stands out is that, you know, the sheep world's a community, right? Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've known you for a while now and, and, you know, there's a circle of people that we, we sort of float around in this community. We see each other where we, we touch base and, you know, whether, whether it's through the foundation or, you know, through your local chapter in this, in BC, the Wild Sheep Society BC, you know, it's just, it's, it is a unique community. And I feel like, you know, that's my circle of friends is the, the, the sheep world. Right. Um, and it's a pretty cool space to be in. And, um, you know, you talked about that mentorship and that, you know, it's, I wake up in the morning, I, I eat, sleep and breathe, you know, this, this world. And, um, that's the one cool thing about our community is that, you know, we, we do have that support system, right? We can, we reach out, we, we communicate, we learn. And, um, that, that's the cool part of it for me is it's, it's not, it's not just about the mountain experience. I only do that two weeks a year or three weeks a year, whatever the case may be, but I live it year round by, by this community we live in. Right. Absolutely. And that's another great way to get involved in a mentorship way, but also just in a being involved with, with sheep conservation and maybe you can jump on a project or two, or, I mean, that's great. That's a great thing about it as well is that there's hunters, but, but the sheep hunting community, at least for my mind, we are more just fans of this animal and, and, and the landscape that they live on. Um, and we're sort of drawn like a moth to flame to just be around sheep, however possible. So that might be volunteering on a project or, um, hunting itself or just going and photographing sheep where you might be able to see them. So that's a part of it. And I think when you're around those people, this like passion is ignited and often 
you learn a lot too, a little bit um, when you're, I mean, you never know who you're going to run into. Sometimes you're running into a biologist or something like that. You're picking their brain about what sheep are doing this time of year and where they might be. And you, you kind of learn a lot as well. So um, it is a, it is a big um, part of my life as well for, for better or for worse. I would say for better, but all these sheep hunting nuts. Well, I mean, we're just like a bunch of cavemen trying to get around a campfire at the end of the day. It, the campfire is, has a lot of sheep hunting stories, but we're all trying to be around each other, telling stories and stories from the hunt and, and things like that. And, and uh, yeah, you're right, Kyle. That's a big part of it. Right on. Okay. So let's segue a little bit. Let's talk about hunting sheep in the territories. Um, have you ever been on a dull sheep hunt in the Northwest Territories? I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, I've been on a few and I've, I've filmed, I've done a lot of cool, cool trips. I've done a couple like really long filming trips. Um, one of them spanned like 25 or 26 days, basically two hunts stacked right on top of each other um, that were broken up two different hunters. And then another one was like very similar. It was, it was one group of hunters and I was actually hunting caribou on that trip. Um, and we did a film project. So I've done some cool ones. Yeah. I've done some really cool ones and then, and, um, been up there a little bit, um, a few other times, but, uh, those are a couple of them that stand up, been up there with my brother as well. And I, I have, I, so it's one of the coolest places on earth man, I've ever been, no doubt. Cool. Um, okay. So let's, let's jump into it now. Um, obviously you're working with the wild sheep foundation. You're a, a foundation ambassador, do a ton of work um, for conservation, the wild sheep foundation themselves. Um, and you're involved in this Northwest territories hunt member appreciation uh, giveaway that the foundation is doing. Let's talk a little bit about that and what you're going to do, what your involvement is, what, what's all, how people can get involved. Just touch base on that stuff for us. Well, there's a, there's a pretty cool raffle going on that she Foundation is putting together and it's the opportunity to win a doll sheep hunt in the Northwest Territories. And there's a couple unique things about it. I think one of them is you get to pick which outfit you want to go with, which I don't even know if I've ever even heard of a giveaway like that. And I mean, anywhere in the Northwest Territories is... I mean, maybe we should set this up and back up a little bit more. So Northwest Territories, I mean, the Mackenzie Mountains, which is like the primary sheep range in the Northwest Territories. If you're in the middle of that stuff, you, you are, I don't think you're any closer than 300 miles from a road. Um, you're walking on trails that are made by animals only. I mean, th there's a high likelihood that if you're there, you're not going to see another person. You probably aren't. Um, and not only are you not going to see another person, but you're probably not going to see very much evidence of other people. So very likely you could be hunting a spot in a concession in the Northwest Territories that um, very few people have been to. Um, potentially people haven't been there in five years. And also potentially no one's ever been there. There's a high likelihood that you're stepping somewhere where these people haven't been. And I, th I think that that feeling is, is, is pretty rare. I mean, we get to go to these like pretty cool wilderness zones and you think about the mountains. I mean, sometimes I'm somewhere, I'm like, man, there's no way anyone's ever been here. And I find a cart cartridge or I find a tiny little piece of 
tinfoil from somebody's freeze-dried bag or something. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, people have been here. Um, but the Northwest Territories is unique in that. It's just so remote. Um, there's not a lot of good reasons to be up there other than hunting, and, and there's mineral exploration up there. But it's not it's not an area that a lot of people go to. So maybe that helps to set that up. And there's there's a handful of outfits that run these hunting operations that are that are I mean they're like the epitome of wilderness hunting. They've as I set up where the Northwest Territories is, you picture a few people with cabins. Maybe they have horses, but um, most of them don't and they're either run by aircraft so a super cub or a helicopter to access these parts of a hunting concession um and going hunting so it's like even even from wherever somebody might be listening to this in bc or somewhere in canada or down in the lower 48 of the states even just to get there you fly into edmonton then you fly into Yellowknife, then to Norman Wells, then from Norman Wells, you take a float plane charter or a helicopter into the hunting outfit that you might be hunting. Then you go out maybe in a smaller aircraft to your actual hunt location. So it's it's like, it takes you two or three days to actually be there hunting or even longer. And, you know, the planes are getting smaller as you're going up. And that part of, of, of what hunting is for me, like that's the like top, that's like the pinnacle of, of what hunting is. Um, and the Northwest territories is a place that still has that. So I think that that's pretty damn cool that people have the opportunity to enter a raffle like this. And the flip side of that coin is it's a membership drive. And so we all feel like these groups, um, I'll just speak from personal experience. They're driving, they're driving the ability for sheep to be on the mountain. No question. And without them, hard to say, hard to say how many sheep there would be left in North America. I mean, we have pretty good data to suggest that there wouldn't be very many. And we know that around the turn of the century, there was 10 or 15,000 in the lower 48. Maybe I'm getting that, that number wrong, but um, almost none, almost exportated completely. So without a group like the wild sheep foundation, which is the group that we're talking about, that's running this raffle that I'm a big supporter of, um, it wouldn't exist. So this raffle, you have to be a member to win. And so you're basically the cost of your membership, your annual membership, if you're not a member is the same cost as the raffle ticket. So you basically get a free raffle ticket for becoming a member. So if you were ever thinking of becoming a member or your membership has lapsed, um, something like this is just a little incentive just to just jump on in and um, who knows, you might be hunting in, in the Northwest territories. Um, of course, if you are a member, you can still get tickets, which I think is really cool because we have a family of sheep hunting supporters that, um, that would want to be in on something like this. And uh, the lucky person so chooses if um, I'm so lucky to tag along to, I am sort of helping tell this story of sheep hunting um i'm going to be photographing or filming the trip and so i'll be along for the ride doing the hunt um with whoever wins so i'm pretty excited about that i mean it's like a cool opportunity i do hunt with like a small number of people and like i said try to get new people involved in hunting at least once a year on some sort of trip and this will be a really cool experience for 
somebody to win, go on an awesome hunt. I mean, I can't undersell it. I mean, like it's, it's, uh, I'm like, shit, I want to win this thing. Um, it is really, really cool to, to do something like this. It, it mo- most definitely is like a lot, once in a lifetime experience. Um, and I'm going to be there too, Kyle. So I don't know, are, are Sheep Foundation employees eligible to win? You're probably not. You're probably out. <laughs> I can win though. Okay, so you can win. <laughs> that, yeah. that would suck if you had to hunt with Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, that's the thing about this hunt. You know, we've talked about this, Adam. It's like, there's there's actually, you know, the foundation gives away a ton of hunts, right? There's, yeah. you know, all, but this is, this is actually something like this is the crown jewel, like you talked about. Like, first of all, there, there's eight outfitters in the territories and they're all participating. Um, the Association of McKenzie Mountain Outfitters uh, was part of this hunt donation. And you can pick any one of them. And like, I, like I don't, I've never seen a, a raffle like this. Like that just, they don't exist, right? So this is truly a very unique experience and a unique opportunity. And then, you know, not only are you going on the hunt, we're going to fly in, take care of everything. Um, then you're going to be there to document. You're going to be there to tell that story as well. So this is just so, so unique. Like just the hunt itself and everything around it is phenomenal. It's incredible. There's nothing like it. So. Yeah. When I look at photos of that place, I think, man, I need, I need to get back there. So I guess this is, this is all happening at a good time. Um, Cause I love being there and yeah, I mean, uh, it's, Oh man. And a camera can't even like fully capture it, but um it would be pretty cool for somebody to have just cool photos of of the places that they got to see because like I said, there there is a very high likelihood that like the view that you that you're seeing on a sheep hunt up there is something that very few people have seen. Yeah, right on. So people want to pick up tickets, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you're just going to want to jump on the Wild Sheep Foundation website and there is a icon that says the Last Frontier Hunt giveaway and it's sort of like right now it's in the lower left-hand side of the landing page. Click on that, that'll dump you over to a checkout page where you can enter your information, pick out how many tickets you want and get one, two, three, four, or five. Of course, you get better odds the more tickets you get and the money goes to a great cause, which is going to the sheep foundation to help put and keep sheep on the mountain. So, um, you have to be a member already, or if you're not a member, you can use that to become one and then you can be entered. And then we wait, I think the deadline is June 30th. Kyle, am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you don't have a lot of time depending on when this, when this puppy airs, um, don't do what I do with every hunting draw, which is wait for the last day. And, my wife just is like, what the hell are you doing? Why, you know, doesn't this stuff come out? Doesn't this stuff come out? Don't you have weeks and weeks and weeks to do this? So if you're listening to this and it's sometime in June, just go do it. Don't, don't wait till June 30th and your internet's down and you're panicking and you say, why do I do this every time? <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, we'll, can't wait for that. That's a really exciting draw from the foundation. And uh, yeah, for sure. And I don't know if I'm eligible or not. I haven't bought a ticket yet because <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm, I'm allowed to. But uh, I don't think it would look very good if I won it, to be honest with you. So 
Um, yeah. Yeah. But my, I know my kids are in it cause they both renewed their membership. So, uh, they, they were all over it. So yeah. Awesome. awesome. Cool. Okay. So I know you're busy. You got a, a shoot going on today and meetings and, and all kinds of stuff, but, uh, all right, let's, uh, before we wrap it up, let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, what's the latest piece of gear? What did guys got to get? If somebody's out there and they're looking for something, um, I know you're a gear guy. I'd love to talk to you about gear today, but we just had so much stuff to cover. But um, what's the latest and greatest? What do guys have to go and pick up? Let's, you got anything for us? I don't know, man. Let me think about that. Let's see here. Hmm. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> Put you on the spot, buddy. I like it. I mean, oof, I don't know. I mean, I, okay. I, I think people should, most people are probably already doing this, but maybe if there's like a more sort of, um, newer hunter or maybe that, maybe, maybe this is geared at like the, um, sheep hunter, the would be sheep hunter who's like starting to get into it. Um, I, I would say like most people have these now, but, um, an inreach, most people have an inreach, but um, so that's not new, but I would say that that would be something that as one thing to mention, if you are going on a sheep hunt or it's your first one, or you're just getting into it, depending on how you're traveling in there, if you're taking a, a plane, trains, automobiles, um, your, your plane charter company pilot will probably have an internet and that's probably how you'll be communicating. So that's, that's a piece of gear that you should have, um, I mean, those aren't new. Those have been around for a while, but uh, they, I think they came out with the mini like a couple years ago, three years ago, 2019, maybe something like that. Um, that thing is like super small. Let's see here, Kyle. Um, so I mean, I, do, do I, me yeah. f- on that, on that inreach thing. And I learned this from you actually on one of your podcasts uh, that you did um, about what, where do you put it? Where do you keep it? Cause I, I never thought of this before and I'm like, I'm such an idiot. So share that piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like a, like a lot of stuff, it's only like a, like a life jacket on a boat that you're not wearing is not overly helpful. So an inReach, which is a two way satellite texting device that you can communicate with the outside world, your loved ones, your, like I said, somebody who might be picking you up or arranging a ride. You also have an SOS button on it. Should you be in an emergency life or death situation? Um, and it can link to your phone so you can use it and text or email your contacts, which is really nice. And it sends them a location pin of where you are. That piece of equipment is only good if you can access it relatively quickly. Um, and so I keep it in the right-hand waist belt pocket of my backpack under the um scenario that if i fell or something and was stuck or hurt i could pull it out and and maybe be in a place to hit an sos or get a message out um to get help in the absolute worst case scenario but i do know people that have have their uh uh, um in reach at the bottom of their pack (laughs) or or in their tags in like a ziploc bag and okay i have this thing if i need it and I think it's also cool to be out there and not be talking to people on your inreach. Um, I try to do that as well. However, having it close by in that situation, I mean, lots of people do clip them 
especially the mini, they clip them right on their bino harness, which I think is not a bad spot. Um, but, uh, yeah, if it's the bottom of your pack, it's not, not doing a whole lot of help. Yeah. It, it's funny with the inReach. I've now it's twice. I've heard of this where the, the it's turned on and the SOS features gone off. I know of two people that mm. are, uh, that, that have done that. And one of us, our, our good friend, Mark, he was chief hunting in the Wilmar, I think it was, or somewhere there. And he he's hiding in, you know, whatever, like stalking some rams and all of a sudden this helicopter comes in and is landing like right near him he's like what the hell's going on and here he had his inreach it was going off and then another my hunting partner same thing he was out hiking and he he could hear something um i guess it, i don't know if there's an audio sound or something that it makes when it goes off and he heard it and realized it and shut it off but uh yeah i guess that's the other side of it be careful so yeah i've i've seen that with my own eyes too <laughs> is that right <laughs> yeah wow yeah yeah. Um, no, and then I mean, like, gear is gear is gear is a rabbit hole. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on it, but um, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of great apparel companies that are making technical hunting stuff right now, um, and equipment's just getting better and better. Backpacks are getting better. Boots are getting better. Optics are getting better. Um, for my life, camera gear is getting better. Um, so I think there's a, there's a bit of an information overload sometimes. And I think, I don't know, I, whenever I'm asking about gear, I try to kind of like answer it with the idea of like the concepts of gear that you need to instill on your backcountry exploits and then find the right stuff that fits for you. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I'm like, a, I, I, I've worn Sitka since six years since it came out um, and they've done some, some just awesome, awesome stuff um, that I'm a big fan of. But uh, for, for like sheep hunting, if we're going to go like one gear nerd thing, um, Sitka's rain gear, their dew point stuff, um, is just like, it's like mind boggling. I was like doing my gear list and adding up all the weights and stuff. Um, for a large, it's like 13 ounce jacket and 10 ounce pants. So, and I'm like a medium, so it's even less. So it's like t- 22 ounces, which is a pound and a half is 24 ounces. It's like less than a pound and a half for fully waterproof Gore-Tex rain gear. Um, it's like awesome. Um, and it's awesome for the backpack hunter. And it's awesome for the person who maybe is like, should I bring my rain gear or not? Maybe either if you are backpack hunting and you're going to go up, I mean, you should always bring your rain gear, but maybe if you're doing like, something shorter or smaller you just bring it because it's so light um and so i I don't know i mean that's like a pretty in the last two or three years if i'm thinking of something that's like whoa that is that is pretty significant um weight savings and not in the sense where i mean it's not disposable rain gear it's not a rain poncho from walmart like it's fully durable waterproof breathable rain gear with just enough features that you need with pit zips and side zips to take your rain gear on and off. Cause if you're sheep hunting, you take your rain gear off like 47 times, um, sometimes all on the same day. So that, that's, I think of a gear like, Holy man, that's, that, that, that stuff came out like two years ago. And, um, there's, when it comes to rain gear, I don't think there's a whole lot. I, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing better in my mind. Were you running Stormfront before that, or what were you running for for rain gear? What do you have? 
Yeah, they had they they just sort of updated the dew points. They had the old stuff, um, which is a little bit heavier, but um, the new stuff was is. I mean, the old dew point was like is it was almost as light, but it was you would just wreck it. Like you would you would pound through stuff, and um, it, it, you wouldn't wreck it in the sense that it would tear to shreds, but you would just sort of pinhole it, and especially in the pants, like pinhole it from the waist down and the knees and, and um then you sort of get that water like the pressure from water from say like walking through really wet willows will just like push through that membrane because or if you're on your knees or you're sitting on your bum once you get a bunch of pinhole leaks in your rain gear you're not going to be soaked as it as it rains but you'll sort of get these when you get pressure from the outside it'll push water through if you have all those pinhole leaks so um the new stuff just seems to be bumped up on on durability because of the um, the different Gore-Tex. They're using Gore-Tex CNET, which is a different, like a sort of an, I mean, CNET um, is the same Gore-Tex technology that is in, I mean, if you look at top of the line mountaineering shells, if you look at Arcteryx or I believe Patagonia is a it too, but um, if you look at those like two or three sort of brands in the mountaineering outdoor space, they're using Gore-Tex CNET in, in their like, highest level um sort of light and fast mountaineering climbing jackets and so sick as they're using the same the same technology um which that space that outdoor space if you want to talk about ounce counting and and um gear discriminant people i mean like alpine climbing um is is the is the pinnacle and sheep hunters sheep hunters so it, you know it's sort of like it would be a step above the discriminating sheep hunter. And I think that's, that's just the basis of the activity, right? I mean, sheep hunting, you have the potential to be going in, sitting in one place for a long time, taking a route that is different than like climbing. Like, whereas like you probably know, you know, you you're, have a little bit better idea. We're going on this climb or we're on this exploratory mission, but sheep like hunting in general can just take these like left-hand turns. Like there's an animal there. Now we're wading across a river. Now we're, we've killed it and we're cutting it up into little pieces and we're packing it out. And so weight is like a different thing. Whereas like if you're climbing, there's no chance that you're going to have a hundred, you're going to have a 30 pound pack on the way in and a hundred pound pack on the way out. It's like, you're not doing that. So hunters need to have like a little bit different gear, a little bit more durable, definitely a better pack, like a better pack frame because you kept the potential to carry something really heavy out. Right. So, but if you look at those areas, like if you look at, Hey, what are, what's like mountaineering sports doing what's like snow sports doing what what gear and technology are in the different equipment that these like pinnacle brands are doing um and how do they apply to like mountain hunting like there's some stuff there's some there's some crossover there and we've seen that in the last like 15 years with with brands coming out um but not everybody is actually doing it in terms of companies um there's a that's what i think it's cool to see when you can make that relationship, whether it's a brand doing that for you saying, Hey, we're taking this technology that's used over here and use it in our equipment or like just like styles of moving through a landscape, like, and using the equipment that's in mountaineering space that hunters don't traditionally use maybe ice axe and crampons and technical um, climbing gear. Although that's like pretty, sometimes pretty hard to bring into the backcountry, but um, just those little bit of, um, like like technique and pieces of gear that you can say like oh yeah that's a maybe that's a safety item or 
that allows me to travel in this way or um, that allows me to be a little bit more comfortable or, or I could be, I can be way lighter and not really give up any durability or comfort. Um, that's sort of like what I'm looking at with gear all the time. And some stuff applies, like some stuff really works and it's like, Oh, I never thought about that. And then some stuff just doesn't because hunting, I mean, hunting is just like a contact sport. I mean, you just end up thrashing your stuff and crawling around and bashing through willows and, and doing things that if you're just sort of backpacking or climbing, like recreating through a landscape or maybe ski touring or something, it's like not as abusive on gear. And then of course, like I said, you have the chance that you might be bringing something really heavy out and you need a lot of random stuff too, like hunting, you need a weapon and optics and um, some stuff like that, that, that adds to your kit. And so, yeah, you need to have a way of carrying that and just managing, managing from a weight perspective, like how to, um, not have that bog you down and be able to still hunt effectively and efficiently. Cause there's like a really tight seesaw of like too much stuff. Can't hike, not enough stuff got to where I wanted to hike. Now I'm uncomfortable, wet, cold, miserable. Now I go home. Um, and I sort of like, if that's a spectrum, I'm probably, I go back and forth. Like sometimes I'm like on the lighter side, sometimes on the comfort side, but I'm probably more on the comfort side because I think I, I like these hunts to be relatively fun if they can. And I think for hunting, I mean, the thing that I've probably found, um, more than anything, as far as like contributing to actual hunting success, it is a function of time and being out there. And if you're out there and you're comfortable, you're out there and you're behind the glass and you're looking for animals. If you're cold and wet and miserable, um, you're just reducing the chance for you to find something. So, um, that's, that's one thing that I found that keep, if I can stay out there longer, um, if I can swap gear, like if I can save two pounds out of my gear, two pounds is like, well, more than a day of food. Okay. I can be there longer or I can go somewhere, right. That I can't necessarily go. If I have 10 days of food, I can go here, but if I have 12, I can go, or I, I can get somewhere and wait there for two more days, glassing and looking around. Um, that's going to contribute to success. So like kind of doing those like calculations, um, in my mind and, not necessarily like running all over creation and just like hiking here and there and putting on miles and climbing and doing all this stuff. It's like, it's actually a little bit more, okay, I'm here. Like, let's, I feel good about this. Let's look. And those gear choices allow you to be a little bit smarter about how to hunt. Um, or like a great tent allows you to be pitched maybe in a spot where you can just be glassing. Like you glass tell the sun goes down, then you like zip the tent closed and you go to bed. You wake up before the sun comes up and you unzip and you're glassing, right? I mean, that's like a huge part of all these little things that relate to gear that are tied to like hunting style and technique that is my personal style, which is not to say it's um, the best by any means or the best for other people at all. Um, it's just a personal style that I think that the longer that you're out there, the more chance you have of finding something the longer that you're comfortable, the more time you spend glassing and looking. Um, and that all leads to the chance to find animals. And uh, I think it's easy to get intoxicated by like all this lightweight gear and going light and fast and forget about, well, hey, if you're out there to hunt, 
these things might contribute to your hunting success or they might detract from them. So like selecting gear that is going to always sort of contribute to the chance of hunting success and the scenarios that you might find yourself in hunting that you didn't account for. Yeah, right on. And it was interesting earlier on, you were talking about uh, Cam about uh, hunting with him and he, he, or he, he was on a podcast and he said something about um, you don't give up. Right. And it, you know, it was interesting the whole time you never said hunt harder, right? It, it's not, yeah. it's not, you know, there's a lot of hard work with sheep hunting, but it's, a lot of it's being smarter, right? Like it's, it's, this is, this is a game of intelligence. It's not, it's not, you, there's a lot of sheep hunters that work a lot harder than a lot of guys, but they have no more success, right? It's, it's the guys that are, and, and you know, a sheep hunt can actually be a lot, not a lot of hard work. It could be sitting behind a glass in an animal rich environment and glassing for three, four, five, six, seven days and not even moving. And then, yeah, you get to bust your ass to kill an animal and get it off the mountain. But you know, and then there's people that are moving all the time. They, they outwork everybody, but they don't have any more success. So it's not a function of hard work necessarily. It's like that's part of it, but it's. I think it's it's much bigger than that, and that that really resonates with what you're saying there. Yep, yep, I totally agree. As much as you'd like to think that it is, and sometimes it, it turns into a, a bit of a track meet, and um, it's nice to be if you are in a little bit better shape, you can have a bit more fun and it's a little more comfortable. But as far as tactics go, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, sit on your ass in glass or you kill more sheep by sitting than you do by, you know, with, with the seat of your pants, you wear it, you see your pants before you wear it, your boots kind of thing, uh, age old saying. So that stuff rings true. And, uh, it's also fun too. I mean, it's fun to just be sitting there looking and you never know what animals are going to show up. And, uh, you know, you're in a beautiful place watching the sunrise, watch the sunset. It's, uh, we're all pretty lucky. Yeah. Awesome. Hey man, we've taken a ton of your time today and I really appreciate it. Um, uh, just stoked to have, uh, have you on the podcast and, and uh, you know, dude, I can't thank you enough for everything that you do for, for wild sheep, whether, and, and, and I know it's not limited to that, you know, do a ton for goats, you do a ton for the conservation space, but uh, I know in our world, the foundation wild sheep, BC, you've just been a, like, huge advocate and just super grateful for all you do brother kyle right back at you man yep i can't say enough i mean the the hunting the way i answered the question about what i take from all these hunting experiences the people is the same i'd say about the conservation space it's the people um just have made some really good friends and and you're one of them for better or worse or for worse you're stuck <laughs> awesome man oh, i appreciate it um we'll let you get back to uh to business down south there and uh look forward to uh i'm hoping in march we can get together and uh you know you're a keynote at uh the society's uh show the last one that we did in per person it was amazing love to have you back and uh you, there's just so much wisdom that you can share with our group and uh and anytime that we have uh the foss family involved it really makes me happy <laughs> it's always interesting that was the last live show i cannot believe that is that true yeah, it's scary. Wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So we're due. We're definitely due. So we'll make up awesome. for a few a few years of lost time and all all in one night. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. Have a great day and we'll we'll chat again soon. Okay. See you guys. Thanks for having me.